Will you say that word with me? Forgiven. Say it again. One more time. It's a good word to have on our lips and in our heart. I'm not sure that there is any word in the English language that is more powerful than that word that we've just spoken. I'm not sure there's any word that's more important to the quality of our lives, to the health of our relationships, and in a sense, even to the determining of the destiny of our souls than that word, forgiven. Our peace of mind hangs on it. The, uh, the authenticity and, and uh, fruitfulness of our relational lives depends upon it. And Jesus suggests that the future of our eternal souls, in a sense, turns on the powerful grace that gets contained in that statement, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is a major theme of the message and ministry of Jesus. Matthew's gospel, for example, tells us that some men brought to Jesus a paralytic who was lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. We turn over in Luke's gospel, and we see described a dinner party at which Jesus is the honored guest, and a woman comes into the party, and she Uh, comes without announcement and she kneels down and she begins to weep and her tears are washing over the feet of Jesus and she uses her hair to dry off of his, his feet. And the other guests at the celebration are assured that she's just here giving this act of contrition in hopes of getting a handout. But Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then we page over to the gospel according to John. And we read how some men drag before Jesus this woman who has been caught in the actual act of adultery. And they want to know what Jesus thinks of this, what his theological opinion, his interpretation of the law is in terms of this woman's life and what should be done to her. And Jesus turns to the men and says, whoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone. He turns to her as she's trembling on the ground and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In effect, your sins are forgiven. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see a pattern in these encounters? People come to Jesus with their needs. They come to him looking for physical healing. They come to him looking for bread to eat. They come looking for theological truth and wisdom on which to make decisions and lead their lives. And Jesus, in almost all of these circumstances we've just read and many others that we could easily read together, Jesus almost always obliges people and meets the request. But 
in so many instances, he either precedes the meeting of that request or goes on to follow the gift that he makes by saying to them, your sin is forgiven. It is as if Jesus is trying to say that we have a deeper need than the needs of our body, the the, the needs of our minds. We have a deep need for forgiveness. The most pressing concern of your life, Jesus suggests, is receiving forgiveness from above and passing it along to others. You must allow forgiveness into your life and you must let it move through your life into the lives of other people. In fact, when you pray, says Jesus, this is what you should say to God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Take forgiveness into you, says Jesus. Move it out through you. That is the way to the life of my kingdom. So let me pause right here, if I may, and let me just take a pulse. How important is forgiveness as far as Jesus is concerned? Let me just add just two more factoids. One of his last words on the cross was to say what? Father, forgive them. What was his first commission to the disciples after the resurrection? Before the great commission to go make disciples, it it was these words. If you forgive others, if you forgive others, their sins will be forgiven. Christ's great desire is for us to allow his forgiveness into us and then to let it pass out to others through us. So, how important is it? Would you say it is not all that important? Somewhat important? Or very important? How many might say very important? Good, okay. We're, we're together then. Because this is sort of foundational to everything else that we're going to talk about over these weeks. Uh, That is a very important basic foundation for the conversation uh, going forward. So, what would you say if I told you that being uh, being forgiven and extending forgiveness to others is actually so central to God's desire that you probably shouldn't waste your time going to church unless you're willing to make it central to your desire? What would you say if I told you that you shouldn't keep coming here if you're not willing to seriously lean into forgiveness? That's not my idea, I might add. I didn't come up with that idea. Listen to what Jesus says. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Work it out. Seek forgiveness. Do the, bu- the business of forgiveness and then come worship God. In other words, if you're nursing a grudge right this minute, 
You have got some built-up issues with somebody, maybe somebody in your family or your workplace or here in the church or out in the world or the other political, whatever it may be. If you're nursing that grudge and holding on to it, if you've got some unresolved bitterness towards somebody who's injured you, that separates you from that person in relationship, if you know that you've done wrong and you have not gone and confess that, and ask for forgiveness from the person that you've done the wrong to, do not keep coming back here and just sitting with that condition. And calling yourself a Christian. Boy, what side of the bed did the pastor get up on this morning? Don't do this. Don't do this. It, it, it's, like, it's like going to an AA meeting with a bottle of vodka in your pocket. Okay, you're not going to get thrown out of the meeting for this, okay? Because we're sinners. This is a hospital for sinners. But, but the fact that if you just keep coming back with the bottle in your pocket, never tr- really trying to lay it aside, it suggests that you maybe are missing the point of the meeting. It certainly suggests that you need help, that you maybe haven't gone as far in the recovery process, as everyone wants you to, and that you need some healing. Newsflash. We all need healing around the subject of forgiveness. We've got the flask, every one of us, hiding the flask around the subject of forgiveness. And I know that because I know my own heart. I have, I have wrestled with the forgiveness issue all my life. Uh, and I have been allowed enough access into your heart and that of other people to know that I'm not alone uh, in this. Um, and I want to leave aside for just a moment the subject of being forgiven by God or forgiving ourselves or some of the other things that we're going to look at in the weeks ahead. And I just want to create some kind of circle of safety for this conversation, not just this morning, but in the journey before us, and just let us admit that when it comes to forgiveness, a lot of us are stuck. In fact, that's the title of the message today, stuck. We are stuck on the forgiveness issue. Uh, Despite all of the emphasis that Jesus places on it, we're stuck, a lot of us. And in that sense, I think we're like the first servant that we read about in the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18. You'll recall from that particular story we read a moment ago that that the servant has received from the master's hand a great deal of forgiveness for his debts. I mean a huge amount of forgiveness, more than he even gets. Yet he still cannot bring himself. He can't bring himself to forgive the debt that another servant owes him. He is stuck in two senses of that word. First of all, he is jabbed by the, by the sharp feeling that he's got to get his from this guy. <laughs> he's just pricked by this sense of irritation and anger and righteous upset. That this guy is his debtor and owes him something. That's the first sense of he's being stuck in that sense. But he's stuck in another sense. Having been given such enormous grace, somehow... It's not flowing through him. (laughs) I mean, it's gotten stuck. The grace has gotten stuck. 
and is not moving through him. What has been given to him isn't going through him. And this, I think, is where some of us sit. We may have studied the subjects of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus on the subject of forgiveness. We may be able to parrot the teachings of Jesus on this subject. We may feel some genuine gratitude to God that in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross we have been declared forgiven. But the fact remains that we're stuck and someplace over some relationship or some part of our life there hangs this sign in dark letters that reads unforgiven. That thing, that person, those issues are not forgiven. And it's just there in us every week as we keep coming back to the meeting. Why is this? Why, why is forgiveness so hard? <laughs> you know? Why is it so really hard for us? Uh, I sometimes hear people speaking as if it should be routine, but it isn't. It is not. Sometimes in spite of all that we know or that we want to be in our very best moments, we, we, we actually don't even want to bring ourselves to the point of forgiveness. You know? I've had people, I, I don't even want to forgive them. It's not like I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, help me. Give me the grace to do this. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm not forgiving that person. Why is it so hard? Well, Lou Smeads, who's just a wonderful thinker on the subject of forgiveness, an ethicist, a philosopher, a former professor at Fuller Seminary, once suggested that forgiveness is needed in certain circumstances and is hard for this simple reason. And I just put the quotation up there. Because a person did something to us that seriously wounded us and wronged us. It's hard because a person did something to us that seriously wounded us and wronged us. And each one of those phrases is worth thinking about in turn, because I think it explains the condition for us. First of all, forgiveness is hard because it involves a person. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night, it's dark, you have to go to the bathroom, you're going to the bathroom, and your toe collides with a chair? Raise your hand if you've ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night. Were you mad? Did you say words of prayer at that moment? (laughs) Right? Now tell me something. Have you forgiven that chair? You didn't need to forgive the chair. It's an inanimate object. I mean, you were mad for a moment, but you didn't go around all day long the next day thinking, that chair? I'm going to get even with that chair? That chair's going to be kindling by tomorrow night. You didn't do that, right? You bought the iPad 2 maybe, and you discovered it's got a little screen bleed or whatever the latest issue there is. You're probably not going to sue the Apple Corporation. We don't need to forgive products. We don't put our trust and our hope, at least if we're sane, in products. We don't put our heart in those things, but we do put our heart in people. We open ourselves up to people. And when a person fails us, when someone that we've trusted and believed in and depended upon and Look to let us down. It is hard. It is hard. 
Forgiveness is hard, secondly, because a person did something to us. Something was actually done. We did not make this up. It's not our imagination. Something actually happened. Do you know that Buddhism is the other world religion that talks a lot about forgiveness? In fact, it's really the only two that are really after the forgiveness thing. But for different reasons, they come at it differently. In Buddhism, the, the understanding is that things that are bad, that are evil, that hurt, these things are illusions. They didn't really happen. They're not, they're not authentic. And, and, and forgiveness is, is not really, uh, uh, is easy to do because we just have to remember that this is not really true. This thing that happened is not really real. Christianity comes at it very differently. In Christianity, our understanding is that matter matters. That stuff, in quotation marks, happens. Actually happens with actual, real, concrete results. And because these things have happened, that have changed things, that have altered reality in some meaningful way, it needs resolution, real resolution, more than just changing our imagination about it. Forgiveness is hard, thirdly, because a person did something that seriously wounded us. Most of us experience slights all the time. We have irritations, things that bug us, that happen every single day. Somebody forgets to say please, or they don't say thank you, or they cut us off in line, or they're late for an appointment, or they take our parking space. We might need to talk with people about this kind of thing every now and then. But largely, what do we do with these things? We shrug them off, right? Or we ought to. I mean, just... People are human. They're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to work out. We let these things go. But sometimes, something happens that we cannot just rise above. Somebody ravages our trust. They stab our heart. They injure us or our people or they take our possessions or they shred something important to us in a way that leaves us reeling and and bleeding and we just can't shrug these circumstances off. But forgiving that person? How? Why? When they wounded us so deeply. Forgiveness is hard fourthly at those times when a person did something to us that seriously wounded us and wronged us. It didn't just hurt what they did. It was wrong. It offends justice what they did. They violated a boundary, a sacred boundary. They crossed a line. They broke a covenant. They did something that was an offense against what is good and right and true. And, 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 and we to think to ourselves that to not be upset about this, to just blow this off, let this go, would be a further wrong. Some kind of response is demanded to this situation. Cold revenge or hot retribution come to mind in moments like those. And, and the thought of forgiving that person feels like weakness feels like an invitation to just let them keep doing it. 
and that would be wrong. Isn't this something of why it's hard to forgive our debtors? Maybe not all of it, but isn't this something of it? Of why it's so difficult, why we're so hard, like the servant, on some people. But we are like that servant in another way, too. When we stand before the master... We want him to be merciful to us. Raise your hand. You'd like him to be merciful to you. Yeah, me too. We really want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We want a lot of grace from God. And we may not know how much grace we need from God, like that servant didn't fully get it, but we want him to be merciful. Almost everybody I have ever talked to has told me that if they became conscientiously a Christian, part of it was because they wanted God to forgive them of their sins. And you would think that in spite of how hard it is to forgive, that because of that reality, one of the most vivid and pervasive attributes of Christians would be their persevering attempt to forgive other people. You, you would think that it would, it would mean that the Christians would have a passion for trying to extend grace, for giving people second chances. They would be incredibly zealous at trying to bridge divides and reconcile differences and close gaps between people. You would think that this would be the defining characteristic of Christians. You really would, given the weight Jesus puts on it and our desire to be forgiven. And yet, this is not how we're known. This is not our reputation. It's Jesus' reputation. It is not often Christians' reputation. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it happens. I don't know if you remember back in 1984, some of you are far too young to even remember that, but Pope John Paul II went to the Rebibium prison in Rome to visit an inmate. Now, it's not unusual for a priest to go see an inmate. What was unusual, of course, was this was the Pope going to see an inmate. And what was particularly unusual is that the inmate that he was going to visit was a fellow by the name of Mehmet Ali Agka, who a little time before had taken out a gun and fired hot bullets into the body of the Pope to kill him. And what was amazing was that that priest reached out his hand and said to Akka, you are forgiven. And they became, before the Pope's death, friends. (laughs) Like, Connect with each other friends. I read this week of an amazing story of this Armenian girl. And when she was young in the the civil war between Armenia and Turkey, and a soldier came into their home and and, uh, murdered her parents and raped her and her sisters. 
And then years later, she's working at a hospital as a nurse, and she's called into a case, and the man is unconscious, and she looks down into the face of the soldier that did these things. And she nurses him back to health. And when the soldier awakens and looks up and sees the face of the one who is standing over him, he asks her, why didn't you kill me? Why did you let me live? Why did you nurse me? (laughs) And the girl replied, and I quote, because I am a follower of him who said, love your enemies. For most of us, my friends, and this is where I'm, I'm about to quit and let you go. Forgive me for going one minute more. These are almost impossible scenarios. I mean, we can't even hardly project ourselves into those situations. Maybe some of you have suffered tragedies like that, and you can. But for a lot of us, we just shudder at the thought of ever being put in a position like either of those two people I just described. We pray God would never allow that, so we would never have to even contemplate forgiving someone like this. But here's what I wonder. Here's what I really wonder. What if you and I could get unstuck at least in relationship to some of the lesser crimes that the people in our lives have committed against us? What if we could get unstuck there? Why would we actually do that? What would be involved in actually doing that? And what might become the outcome of doing that, of walking down that very narrow road that Jesus blazed for us all. This is what I want to explore with you in these days to come. I hope that we can figure out together a little bit more deeply what it means to live our lives beneath the banner that is written across the top of the life of Jesus, that one word, forgiven. Amen.